1: Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Suma T Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com, And today we'll be speaking with Sherry, who has been a conscious polyamorist for most of her adult life and really loves to spread the information about the choice that we have for the types of relationships we have. And she and her partner live in San Francisco and host open relationship and polyamory gatherings as well as other kinds of sex-positive events throughout the year, which I want to hear more about. (laughs) So welcome Mm -hmm. to the show, Sherry. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sumati, for having me.
0: Really appreciate being here. Thank you.
1: Great. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed the writing that you do. Um, I see (laughs) your writings on Facebook. and um, So let's start by just, why don't you tell people what kind of open relationship would you describe yourself as practicing? Mm, Well, that's a really great question. I would say that
0: I define myself as polyamorous. And to me, polyamory means having more than one deep diving relationship with a person at a time Uh, because I love to go deep with people. I love to open my heart and expose myself to all types of delicious romantic magic with people. And so being able to share that on an ongoing level is I definitely see that as something that's always been my calling. Whether or not that was something that was easy to manifest is another story, but that's pretty much Mm -hmm. how I self-identify for the most part.
1: Fabulous. That sounds beautiful. So you love to go deep and open your heart and expose yourself. So I want to unravel that a little bit. So you have a partner, don't you? Do you guys consider yourselves primary partners or nesting partners or what? Uh, Both, all of it. You know, we're basically
0: married minus the certificate. And we both kind of view relationships and love in the same way. You know, we just love sharing ourselves. And when we first met, we were so overjoyed to have found each other That our cup was just running over and anyone and everyone around us who we were friends with, we would start sharing some of that in a celebratory way with other people, whether it was, you know, just physical intimacy or, you know, friendship intimacy or something, because we just felt like we were so full of all this love and all this joy and excitement from, you know, connecting that we wanted others to feel like they could be a part of it with us somehow, You know, Mm -hmm. not to feel like there was a wall between us and other people, um, which is how I kind of had viewed monogamous relationships in the past, where once people get together, all of a sudden, it's like there's a separation between them and the rest of the world. But for us, it was the opposite. It was, we're so happy. We want everyone else to get a taste of this somehow.
1: Beautiful. So often people think of themselves as a third wheel or a fifth wheel when they're with couples. So... I love that you reframe that,
0: yes, definitely. I mean, we never want anybody to feel like because they're around a couple that they don't have a say on connecting with us. We're both individuals, we both have our own friendships and you know relationships with others, and uh we really like to keep it that way. We like having an interdependent dynamic between us, mhm, and
1: what how does that show up the interdependency?
0: Uh, Well, we're both very much our own people. You know, I have my life, he has his life. And when we come together, it's because we're desiring each other's company. Like we're best friends, we're life partners, we enjoy being together, and there's things he likes to do and there's things I like to do. And we don't always feel like we have to do everything with each other because, you know, we have lives outside of our dynamic. And I think that's a key factor in being open to some degree is, our primary partner is not going to be our everything for us it's healthy to have different Mm -hmm. dynamics with different individuals whether it's romantic or platonic or whatever it might be you know just having open relationships just takes it a step further into the sensuality but otherwise it's really not that Mm -hmm. much different and i've
1: been to your house don't you have separate bedrooms as well
0: We do. And that was a definite healthy move. We both have a lot of material items. So having our own space was was pretty crucial. But yeah, it's like he's got his man cave and I've got my little goddess temple room and we can both create whatever (laughs) we want in our own respectable spaces, whether it's bringing other people over for dates or just having our own
1: private time. You know, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's really healthy. I like that. So when he comes to your goddess space, it's an intentional visit rather than just taking it for granted that this is where we flop down at night.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, pretty much. And, I mean, I like to create goddessy-like spaces everywhere. But um, his space, is that's his man cave. And he keeps it the way he wants it. And I keep my space the way I want it. And it works out really well. And so we definitely feel Mm -hmm. like we're being invited into each other's spaces when we go into each other's rooms. But in a good way you know, not in a way that has any weirdness to it.
1: Mhm. Well, beautiful. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your story? Have you always felt um, amenable to having multiple loves or is that something that you had to grow into?
0: Well, interestingly enough, when I hit puberty, one of my first fantasies that I had was a group of the the guys that I went to school with, you know, I think it was high school or something, that I had this image of all of them pleasuring me at the same time and all of them kind Mm -hmm. of giving me props to the experience. Like, wow, she's so hot and look, she's doing this and whatever it was. And so the fact that I wanted to have a group of men, you know, all with me at the same time, that really felt like the start of my interest in polyamory and that a group Mm -hmm. dynamic just seemed so much more appealing You know, where everyone Mm -hmm. was a part of it in some way, shape, or form. And as I got older, I just remember every time I was happily in love with somebody, I wanted to bring others into it because it felt so beautiful and so amazing. I really wanted it to be shared. And that didn't take away from the connection that I was having with the person I was involved with, not in the least. If anything, it just felt like more and more joy and bliss was being added always around. And it was amazing. It was lovely. It was awesome. Very happy about those
1: choices. (laughs) Beautiful. And so how does your partner um, deal with it now, your nesting partner, um, when you have a deep, um, you know, when you dive deep with another person? How how does that land for him?
0: Um, He's very happy for me because one of the things he told me when we first connected was, he just doesn't get jealous. You know, if anything, it Mm. kind of turns him on to think of his partner with somebody. Uh And Uh because I really love to go deep and I love to share myself and I like to spend a lot of time with people I care for. He's happy when I have other people to take care of or to be with because, Uh you know, he Uh kind of likes to do his own thing sometimes. And it's great that I can share my life with others. So he's always Uh been really happy and really supportive and, for the most part, most of the people that I've been interested in, they're in our extended community. So he already kind of knows them or gets to know them. or It's like there's already this camaraderie, this sense of we're all in mutual tribe together. So, so mm-hmm. far it's been great. You know, I'm, I'm not the kind of person to go to a bar and get drunk and pick up on some random person there. Like everyone <laughs> basically that I've ever liked, my partner has liked too. And that's kind of
1: how we sort of keep it in the family, so to say. Uh huh. Do you have any agreements around that, or does it just naturally flow with the two of you because you're so compatible? Do you have any agreements around um, that you only date people he already knows, or does he need to meet them first, or any agreements around that, or has it just worked out because you're so compatible? Um, I think it's worked out because of all the trust that we have.
0: You know, as we were getting to first know each other, he told me he really trusts me, and he feels like I know what I'm doing. And because I've been Mm -hmm. in this lifestyle longer than him, you know, he's not going to doubt my experience because it's something that I've been doing for a really long time. You know, there's things Mm -hmm. that he does really Mm -hmm. well that I'm just getting started in that I'm not going to tell him what he can't do because he's already accomplished in that. So with the world of Mm -hmm. polyamory, that's already been something that I've got under my belt of experience. So Mm -hmm. pretty much, you know, as long as I'm safe and don't do anything, you know, spooky, but I really wouldn't do that because to me that's not a fun time anyways, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that we have specific agreements other than enjoy yourself
1: and be safe and have a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And then how do you feel when he has other loves in his life? Well, you know,
0: he's very easygoing. And for the most part, he gets crushes on women all the time. And they're usually women that I know already or have had friendships with for Mm -hmm. years and years we'll go to a party Mm -hmm. and then he'll tell me, oh, yeah, I like her and I like her and I like her. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been in, like, a woman's circle with this person and, you know, I know this Mm -hmm. person comes from here. And, you know, so he kind of, he also tends to keep it within his own personal bubble or our personal bubble, Mm -hmm. so to say. And when he's had lovers, they've been women that I'm good friends with. And so, once again, Mm -hmm. it felt very compatible because we all knew each other. And, you know, he's the kind of person where he's going to pick a lover who not only is is someone I'm friends with, but it's somebody that I can be like really open and transparent and even kind of raunchy with. Because one of the things I love to do is talk to my partner's lovers about what a great lover he is and get super (laughs) graphic and even objectifying him with this other woman. And so the times that it's been the most awesome is when these other women are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's he does this and isn't that hot. And I love doing that with my beloved lovers. That's one of my favorite things to do. Like, I don't know how I could pull off being involved with somebody where their lovers want nothing to do with me. Like, I think I've tried that before and it was really a disaster because I love the openness always
1: around. I really do. I thrive on it. Beautiful. And so I'm starting to understand what you mean by sex positive when you say that you also host sex positive events. I feel just how sex positive you are and that it's really just part of your fiber of your being. Um, So how did you get that way? Is it through the study of Tantra or um, how did you get so comfortable with sexuality?
0: Well, I think the first thing I noticed is when I hit puberty, it was like being hit over the head with a ton of bricks like something was driving me around sexuality. I wanted to know and understand and experience and just get what this mysterious energy was because it certainly wasn't something they were talking about in school. And um, I remember when I started being intimate with boys my own age, I always thought it was really strange that they can go from being a totally coherent person to once they started becoming aroused, went into this like, monkey mind, very tribal way of existing. And the way they were speaking was like in grunts and in commands. And it was strange. And I would think to myself, gosh, where did the guy I was getting to know, just disappear to? Like, who is this person mm-hmm. that's coming directly from his second head instead of the head up above. And so mm-hmm. that's always been something that I've, I've wondered about and questioned. And You know, just wanted to figure out, like, what makes people tick with sexuality? So that was a big driving force around, you know, sex in general and what happens during orgasm and just the whole functions of the human body. Like, all of that is really intriguing Mm -hmm. to me. And I think because I was so interested in it, I was attracting other people that were interested as well. And then my lifestyle choices were starting to match, you know, those that were also walking a similar path. So it felt like the mm-hmm. education was always available because I was always submerging myself into those
1: worlds. So it's been mm-hmm. great. Right. Thank you. And then I know that you you said that you host other sex-positive events. Um, so what do you mean by that? Other than relationship polyamory gatherings, what other kinds of events? Um, I've hosted quite a few
0: uh, sensuality parties, otherwise known as play parties, which are very intentional Mm -hmm. gatherings that involve, you know, people being able to be comfortably sexual with each other in an open setting, but in a contained space like a home or something like that. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about doing those was creating an opening ceremony for people so they can ground to get comfortable, creating really yummy food because I'm a raw vegan chef, making a beautiful environment because I also decorate and set up altars and fabrics everywhere, And really wanting people to feel like they're stepping back in time into a temple where sexuality was revered and they get to celebrate in a way where they're being honored just for showing up and being in that space. And I've always Mm. had such a good feeling whenever I created something like this because to see people just, you know, let down their walls and surrender into the divine, you know, whatever that might be for each individual I think that's really important, and I think that's something that people really need to be reminded of—that they can still do, even in this crazy day and age that we live in. Sexuality is sacred, and all the acts of conscious eroticism are sacred. You know,
1: beautiful. I just love the matter-of-fact way that you talk about it—with you know, no shame and just celebration and openness. You're such a great example of that, Um, and our world needs more of that. Um, so ha- have you also done um, or do um, tantric healing with people and help people overcome their shame and their body issues?
0: Um, I have. I like to give couples their own version of a little tantric ceremony where they have an opportunity to tune out the world around them and just drop in, create their own little magic pink bubble eye gaze with each other and forget that anything exists other than their partner and the moment and their breath and their divine connection. Because I think that's really, really (laughs) crucial. And a lot of people don't get to do that. You know, we have a tendency to fill in our lives with everything that we possibly can to stay busy. But sometimes I feel like being overly busy stops us from learning and experiencing the greater gifts of the world. And, you know, that's really unfortunate. And so with Tantric Ritual, people get that opportunity to go back into that space. And then when they do share physical intimacy, it's so much more electric and gratifying because of how much intention they put into the process.
1: Beautiful. So I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment because I feel like we're just racing through this interview. And when you said that we are all busy all the time, that we don't stop and notice the sacred. I want to invite you to take us on just a mini journey for a couple minutes right now um, to remind us how to slow down and how to tune in to that sacred place within ourselves and, and in our environment. So would you be willing to just take our listeners on a little two minute journey of bliss and appreciation I will do my best
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um so for those people
0: out there who are listening, if you can start by just getting into a really, really comfortable position, whether you're sitting, whether you're laying down, and if possible, close your eyes, and if not possible, just allow your gaze to soften, you know, stay in your center. But really drop into a place of calmness within yourself. And you can do that by taking a deep inhalation in through your nose, and then an exhalation out through your mouth. And continue to inhale and exhale, just feeling your body relax with each breath. Letting go of anything that doesn't serve you in this moment. And as you breathe in, imagine a bright light shining inside of your heart that's magnetically pulling all the beauty and all the love that you can imagine. Exhaling out what no longer serves and breathing in what you wish to embody. And as you take in all this beauty and all this love, if there's someone or something special in your life that you'd like to connect with, call them in. Maybe say their name out loud. Maybe just visualize them joining you. And see if there's room in your heart and in your personal space to bring in others that you may feel that love with. And now just continue to breathe into that connection. Maybe place your hands on various parts of your body that you want to give some of that love to. And as you inhale, breathe into your own touch. And exhale, breathe that back out into your hands, creating a circuitry, creating harmony and synergy. And just giving yourself a quick little brush over with your hands, spreading that love all around from head to toe, giving yourself a warm, yummy feeling, and feeling a bit more whole and complete than you were a couple minutes ago. Mm. Thank you.
1: Ah, Thank you. That was beautiful. I've been to a couple of your rituals, and I, I love how you lead them. So thank you for helping us bring ritual back into our daily, ordinary lives. Mm, you're so welcome. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> okay. So um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you say that you host, Um, forgot what you call it, play parties you called it something else um I forgot what you called it. sensuality party sensuality party yeah Yeah. Um, yeah sensuality and so you said that you like to go really deep with people and so how does how do you um how does that jive with having play parties like do you go deep with people in that moment in the play party do you ever want more with them after that like how does that work you have a desire to have deep, open-hearted connections with, some, with people, but at the same time, there must be some casualness at the sensuality parties. So how mm-hmm. does that yeah. work? Yeah, well, all of it's true to some
0: degree. Um, I've been fortunate that for the most part, people that I've connected with intimately at play parties were either people that I already had some chemistry with outside of the event Or after the play party was over, we wanted to continue being in each other's lives for a bit. So that's worked out really well in my favor, that it wasn't just like a one-off experience and, you know, okay, thanks, that was fun, goodbye. Like, I haven't had that. (laughs) Maybe because my Mm -hmm. subconscious intention doesn't really want that. It wants the depth. It wants the closeness. And so Mm -hmm. for that, I've been really grateful for. And then Mm -hmm. also, I think when I do have an experience at a play party, I try to be really clear around what I'm available for, and ideally, I want to connect with somebody who's not just looking to get it on with as many people as possible, but really wants to enjoy the gifts that I have to bring and wants to meet me halfway there, because when we can do that, then we can have a wonderful, unique experience that we might not have if we were not at a play party, and so... I've had some great experiences with people at, you know, play events where we just tried something totally unique and totally different and and it was beautiful and sometimes that uniqueness is enough that I don't necessarily feel like I need more afterwards. I feel very complete and satiated with what I experienced there.
1: Mhm. Beautiful. And then when you meet someone else and they tell you that they're polyamorous, how do you respond? Well, first thing I ask
0: is, what kind of polyamory are you?
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: I want to just check in and see if they're using the word to kind of throw around because it's a fun, you know, sort of new age thing to say these days. Or is it something they've really put a lot of time and energy towards and, you know, have really thought it through? And then how long have they been polyamorous for that they know of? What are their practices around polyamory, et cetera, et cetera? So, yeah, I really like to pick a person's brain because, ideally, if I'm going to date someone, I want to date my own species. So that's kind of, you know, my
1: motive behind getting to know somebody's polyamory style. Right. So what are some of the other polyamory styles that you wouldn't be compatible with? Um, well, if somebody's belief
0: is that polyamory is they can do anything with anyone they want and not have to have any you know, agreements or integrity, regardless of who else is in their life, I probably wouldn't want to be intimate with them because for the most part, the people who I've met who walk that path, there's usually been someone or several someones in their personal life who's been hurt by that behavior. And that's not something that I want to feed. You know, I want to make sure that if somebody – is living this lifestyle that their behavior is not just thinking of themselves, but thinking of others. Because the thing about polyamory is it means more than one love for me to love somebody. means I'm giving them not just my heart, but my trust. And therefore Mm -hmm. I want them to feel safe in whatever choices that I'm making. And so if somebody is only thinking of themselves and not thinking of others that they have in their orbit, that's not really something that would feel good to me because I could be the next one online to get hurt by that person and
1: I'm not interested in that. Right. Right. So it sounds like you're pretty good with your boundaries.
0: I've learned over the years how to be good with my boundaries. There was definitely a time Mm -hmm. where I was open to whatever the other person wanted, but then afterwards I was scratching my head saying, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. What's going on here? You know, um, another experience that I had that, wasn't so great and i've had several of them is people who say that they're polyamorous but deep down they're kind of just saying it to go along with what's new but reality is once they meet someone they really like and if that person's monogamous they're going to turn monogamous as well and that's hard because if they have other lovers you know does the other lovers just get dropped like a
1: hot potato you know it doesn't feel that good nobody wants to be replaced Right, yes, I've had that experience where I was in a relationship with somebody who had another nesting partner, and I would date other people, and after about a month, they would meet somebody and run off into monogamy land, and that just kept happening over and over and over, so how do you find people that you know are committed, Um, do you only date people who are already practicing polyamory and have other partners, or how do you know that's not going to happen?
0: It's kind of been a mixed bag. Um, One person that I dated, uh, he had about four other partners, and he prided himself on being polyamorous and wanting to stay polyamorous. And so that was nice for a while, you know, because he was wanting to be close, and, you know, we spent some time together, and that was nice. And then there was another person where she didn't mind that I was partnered because she actually liked both of us. But she was more into women on a soul level. And so we had a nice connection for a while while she also palled around with my partner periodically. And then there was Mm -hmm. another man who was married, but they had an open relationship. And I was, I guess, considered a safe sweetie by his wife for him to be with. And uh, I don't think he was involved with anybody else, but she was involved with at least one other person. So they each had Mm -hmm. sort of their own lover on the side, and that worked out really well and Mm -hmm. uh yeah so kind of dynamics like that for the most part where different people just had a different background
1: different availability Mm -hmm. and i guess just as as in monogamy there's no guarantees with polyamory there's no guarantees that um the person that you fall in love with is going to stay available um like you said they might decide they want to meet someone that they really love and that person's monogamous and then next thing you know they're saying sorry I can't see you anymore so um, we're not immune from broken hearts just because we're polyamorous (laughs) no on the contrary I think we actually experience
0: broken hearts even more because we're putting our heart on our sleeve and being willing to love more than one person on a deep level I mean the more people we Mm -hmm. let into our lives the more likely you know we can be hurt by somebody You know, it's very risky. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many polyamorous people I know, even including myself, we can be a little bit neurotic when we're first getting to know somebody because we really want to make sure this person isn't just pulling our leg and just saying what they think is the right thing to say while deep down, either they don't, they have no idea what they want or, you know, they're just going along with the moment because the moment feels good. So definitely being with somebody where they can communicate, yes, I really want this with you, yes, I feel this way towards you, I want to do this, that really means a lot to some of us, me for certain.
1: Right, right. Thank you. Um, So you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, in case you're just joining us, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. We're speaking with Sherry Froman, who is a healer, a tantrika, a polyamorist, and hosts open relationship gatherings in her San Francisco home with her nesting partner. And we're talking about um, some of the challenges of polyamory. Let's stay with that just for a few more minutes. Um, what are some of the other um, challenges that you've had in your past that you had to overcome? Gosh,
0: you know, I think the stigma around polyamory is still pretty intense in some circles because, you know, polyamory has this bad rap of just being able to have sex with whoever and whenever you want and spreading STDs and being careless, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it's taken me a long time to find the right form of communication to let people know that polyamory is just one more way of relating. You know, it's not better, it's not worse. It's just a different focal point. And, you know, some people are wired to be introverts. Some people are wired to be extroverts. Some people are wired to be monogamous. Some people are wired to be polyamorous. I think what's more important is that we learn about all styles of relating fully and completely and then from a place of being educated, then make the right choices around it. But I think, uh, you know, maybe just because of religion or whatnot, there's a really negative view around having more than one beloved. And maybe that has to do with, you know, Christianity banning the whole pagan belief system around sharing your body as a form of expression. You know, we have all the slut shaming that goes on. And I think just a lot of people just don't quite get, how can you feel this way with more than one person? Because our whole society is designed for couples and that's it. You know, uh, man and a woman, or fortunately at this point in time, people of the same gender can get married, but it's still just two people. You know, vacations Mm -hmm. are all about, romantic vacations are about two people. You know, raising Mm -hmm. a child tends to be about two people. And so I think when people are baffled by the concept, they're baffled because they just can't imagine, you know, a family life or, you know, romantic life looking any other way other than the typical two adults having the experience. So doing a lot of talking and trying to unravel with people, it's it's a trip. And sometimes people understand it, and sometimes it's almost so truthful that they don't even want to hear it. They're like, this is just too much information. I can't take this in. I can't even imagine thinking that way. It's scary and intimidating for some of them. So And that's, some that's people defend some the interesting- their
1: relationship. Some people, when they hear that someone else is polyamorous, they begin to defend their own relationship um, and say, oh, no, I could never imagine being with someone else because my partner and I have a sacred connection and it's so beautiful. And, and it's like, well, that's fine. You can have that. Nobody's saying you can't. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But they, oftentimes they put us down because it's somehow threatening to their choice.
0: Well, yes, and the number one thing I tend to hear is how do you even have the time for that? And so you know, my response is, well, how do musicians have the time to practice their instrument for hours and hours and hours on end? How do artists have time to sit in front of their canvas and paint their whatever creation they want to have? How can people even want to have children? Isn't that really time-consuming? Doesn't that take you away from your individuality? It's like that with anything. Whatever we feel a calling to do, I think it's important to do that in full force, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's being, you know, a multi-lover romantic type of person, whether it's, you know, being somebody who's committed to their career, like whatever it is, we will find the time
1: if it's a priority. Right. And one of our lovely teachers in our community, Kamala Devi, says that people often say, don't you have to do a lot of processing and um, her response to that is, I get to process with people. I get to have conversations. I get to go deep with people and find out what their wants and needs are. And she talks about how on her father's deathbed, he said he wished he had had more time for relationships. So this gives us an opportunity to have those deeper relationships, to have those conversations mm-hmm. that can be avoided in monogamy for years and sometimes decades people can avoid talking about things but people in open relationships kind of have to (laughs) well yes i definitely think
0: i mean i think communicating in relationship is important no matter what but the way our society has structured relationships it's kind of like you get married and then you can sort of throw in the towel and not have to think about being in your highest self anymore you know you can put on weight, watch TV, do whatever you want because you've reached your accomplishment, which is to find someone and get married. With polyamory or with open relationships, you can't really do that. You always sort of have to be on your toes because, you know, you could meet another person and then it's like starting all over again. So you have this Mm -hmm. great, great resource around staying young, staying vibrant, staying clear and using your voice to be able to connect with people. And the more people you connect with, the more you have the opportunity to use communication skills and to really practice being, you know, a very conscious being overall.
1: Mm -hmm. So do you think people are kind of born polyamorous or naturally polyamorous or monogamous or do you think um, people can learn to be that way? Um, You know, it's a good question
0: because since a lot of people don't have equal knowledge or experience with both, it's hard to say what people are either born as versus what they strive to be. Uh, I think the biggest difference that I can see with monogamy and polyamory is with a monogamous relationship, at least one that's fairly healthy, having that one person to go deep with is enough and then there's other aspects that a person might want to have in their life that have nothing to do with sex and romance that are just as important. While with a polyamorous person, they're wanting to integrate other aspects of their personal life in with the romance. So their best friend might also be a lover. Their nesting partner is a lover. The person who they travel around the world with is a lover. The person who they're working mm-hmm. with is a lover. You know, So there's just more integration mm-hmm. with the romantic self and the rest of their life. So I tend to see that mm-hmm. as being you know, sort of like what a difference is.
1: hmm Yes. I know for me, I used to be extremely jealous. Um, a boyfriend that I had many years ago asked me if I'd consider open relationship. And I was just so upset for the entire weekend until I got back together with him again. I was just off my center. I had trouble concentrating or feeling happy at all for like two days, just from him asking me that question before he even did anything about it. <laughs> and mm. I came back to him and I told him, I, I can't date you anymore if that's what you want. And he said, I just want to talk about it. My gosh. And so yeah. to go from that to to being an open relationship coach was quite a journey for me. And it's because I always wanted to have other lovers, but I didn't want my partner to have other lovers. So that's what I had to learn was to live and I still feel jealous. My jealousy's never really gone away. I've just learned that I don't have to let it rule me and I've befriended it and I, I can transform it into turn on. So for yes, me I funny. I I was one of those people that didn't feel naturally polyamorous. I, I learned to be that way. Mm.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it just takes a lot of releasing our stories and conditioning about relationships in order to become that way. I mean, for a lot of us, you know, I'll speak for women because I'm female, you know, we're taught from the moment we hit puberty that we're nothing unless we have a man by our side. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll do things to hurt other girls, other friends of ours, just to be able to win over the attention of a man. And mm-hmm. it's it's pretty catty, and it's it could be really hurtful. But it's almost this societal ingrained thing that unless we can keep a man from looking at anybody else but us, that we're worthless. And so, for a lot of women, it's like unfathomable to have their man having other partners besides them. It's just it doesn't really make
1: much sense. Yes, and I'm sure for men criticism. there's a similarity as well. Right. Yeah, that's a common criticism that we get as women, that you must not be satisfying your man or he wouldn't want to be with anyone else. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and that's hard. And I think
0: that there's some men out there that don't like the idea of their you know, female partner being with other men either because of the competition that men tend to have with each other, or as they call mm. it, the one penis policy only. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, oftentimes they'll let their woman be with another woman but not um, with a man, um, yeah, but yeah, the the whole idea of possession and that we are each other's possession, and I even caught myself right now saying they're woman as if it's their possession. So that is an ingrained way of thinking about um, relationship as possessing each other.
0: Totally. You know, I mean, I just think that's our conditioning. Like we want to believe that we own people as if they're objects, because I think there's a lot of people who never really received a lot of unconditional love. And so to them to love something, it's something that they own because they're used to love coming in the form of objects. And therefore a person is just another object to them, you know, but to really love a person, you want to love them for who they are and for what they bring to the table and give yourself permission to open to that and find, you know, the common ground so that you can both create this wonderful love together based on what works, you know, and the beauty of that. Right. right.
1: So has jealousy ever come into your poly life? It has. And what I did is
0: I really sat and looked with it and said, okay, what's going on here? And, you know, I see jealousy as sort of an umbrella term as in, there's a lot of other factors happening within that and we're calling it jealousy, maybe just cause it's an easier word to use. But uh-huh. I think when I've experienced it is when I sensed mostly a lack of availability from a lover that I wanted to be closer to, or, you know, possibly that there was a way they were showing up for another person that I had been craving for them to show up with me for a while and didn't realize that until I saw them interact with another individual And then it was like, oh, okay, I understand what's going on here. This dynamic that you two are sharing, I've been kind of missing that with you for quite some time now. And I want to be able to revisit that with you because that's a really important way of being with a beloved for me. And I want to make sure that we still have that before I can really give you my blessings to be with anyone else in a similar way.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's powerful what you just said. You're craving something and you see your partner doing it with someone else and you realize that you've been wanting more of that. So that takes some practice detaching from the hurt to be able to articulate what it is you want and to ask for that. Mhm. Yes, definitely, I, you know. I think most people get so triggered and reactive that they have trouble asking for it in a loving, calm way so they just get mad at their partner or they accuse them of something or say, you don't love me as much as her or (laughs) kind of come from that reactive place rather than noticing what's going on in yourself, finding a way to soothe yourself and then coming back to your partner from your heart and making a request.
0: Yes, I mean, that's important. And then even when I'm getting to know somebody, there's always that tender space of, you know, are they really into me? Do they really have time for me? And, you know, if they're going to be open to connecting with other lovers, like, how is it going to work out? Like, and I think that's a natural way to feel, like when you're first testing the waters with a new person. So, you know, I think that's more just a sensitive ground in general, rather than true jealousy, necessarily. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think there's space to feel all different levels of insecurity. And that, of course, just has to do with what are your needs, what are your wants, what are your desires? Are they being fulfilled? And to get really specific. Because I'm never going to say mm-hmm. I don't want a person to be with another with another individual. I'm going to say, hey, I'm really actually needing something to feel close to you. Is that something that, you know, we
1: can share with each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just takes an ongoing practice of self-love, reconnecting with yourself, I think it's a very spiritual path. And I know that I was able to be as open as I am now because I went and took four months by myself in the woods away from everybody so that I could really get to a place where I wasn't defined by my relationships, um, That where I really enjoyed my own company. And I had a partner and I told him, I set you free for this four-month period. Go do whatever you want because I'm not even going to be here and that really helped me to tune into my own needs and who I really am and not need my partner to define that. Yeah.
0: No, that's a really good thing. I think we all need to learn how to have solo and alone time because a lot of people are defined by who they're in relationship with. And as great as it is to be close to others, you know, because we are social beings as humans, it's also good to know who we are individually because we might discover something about ourselves that we never would have figured
1: out if we were always around other people. Mhm. Right. So, what would you say are some of the let's say key elements in successfully being polyamorous?
0: Well, definitely knowing how to communicate because You know, like I mentioned before, you don't just throw in the towel once you find one relationship. You're constantly working at yourself and working at your ability to attract, and, you know, therefore, you kind of have to be on your toes as well as far as, you know, just knowing how to be with people in general and knowing how to think of others, knowing how to be considerate, knowing how to plan, knowing how to be responsible, knowing how to be in integrity, and these are all good things to have as traits. I know some of my monogamous friends will be like, oh, that just sounds like so much work. And it's like, really? Being an awesome, conscious person is a lot of work? I mean, come on. We can do better than that. (laughs) Um, And the other thing that I sort of noticed, and uh, this is just kind of my take on it, is it seems like men who have a strong feminine and women who have a strong masculine seem to do really well with polyamory. And my guess is because... You know, for some men, they might think that, ooh, polyamory, I get to have a bunch of hot chicks on my arms and go out with Betty one day and Susie the next. And But then when they <laughs> actually try it out and they see it's completely different, they kind of lose interest. And I think mm-hmm. it's different for a lot of men in that, you know, if they have several female lovers in their lives, that's multiplied the amount of times that a woman is going to be, let's say, on her period or PMSing multiplying how many things she's going to want to talk about when she's going through her process, multiply the fact that their lovers might even talk to each other about him. All the things that, you know, could be seen as annoying or too much about, well, that's what girls do. But, you know, if you're a man and you're going to have several women in your life, be prepared for, you know, the women to be women. And you're going to have to take it and hold the container for it. So I think that's something that, you know, for a lot of men, they just have to look at it. Do you really want to accept that level of femininity in all its forms around you?
1: And then Mm -hmm. on the flip
0: side, for a lot of women, you know, a person has to be really good at scheduling and planning when they're going to be seeing their different lovers. And I know some women that just the idea of having to stop whatever intimate flow they're having with one person and shift over to the next that's really difficult. And so they choose to stay monogamous because that way they don't have to sort of jump in and out of different romantic dynamics with people. They can just stay with one and that's that, you know, and um, having to actually create like a calendar. And by the way, calendaring is now a verb in the poly world. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Calendar, to put things on the calendar in relation to your relationships. That's kind of a Mm -hmm. masculine trait. You know, it's very heady, it's very linear, and uh, knowing how to plan a person's time, you know, that takes some, you know, brainy style thinking. But, you know, as a female myself, I always say, if you want to
1: honor Mother Earth, you got to honor Father Time. Right. And for some polyamorous people, they feel like it's more intimate to share their Google calendar with someone than to have sex with them. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I haven't gotten to that point yet, although I think it's kind of humorous that some people have that going on, to be honest. I mean, for me, if I can't remember when I'm going to be seeing somebody, then I've got too
1: much on my plate, really. Right. (laughs) And what, what are some of the other elements of successful polyamory?
0: Well, definitely choosing people that are, you know, cut of a similar cloth that want the same things as I do and being able to talk about it all in the beginning. You know, with my current partner, one of the things I said to him, because we met on an online dating site, is not only did I ask him, so are you really looking to be in a relationship, I also said, what would you say is some of your shadow sides that come up when you're in a relationship? Because I wanted to know, like, what am I going to look forward to, either in a positive way or a not-so-positive way, if I decide to move forward with this person? You know, and so I think with polyamory, it's kind of the same thing. Like, how available is this person? Do they want what I want? Are we compatible? You know, all of this is important. I think it's just like, you know, finding even one partner, but it's being more specific because, you know, it's a little bit more cutting-edge. There's more things possibly, you know, that could be of risk. Are they already partnered with another person? Do I need to meet that person and, like, have a bond with them? Like, what do they want in order to make this work out with me? Mm-hmm. And part of that's that's a lot of that's actually enjoyable to do. You know, just to have these intelligent conversations with someone that I'm sharing a little blossoming romance with is, it's pretty hot. I like it, especially if they're comfortable
1: joining in with me on it. And sometimes we don't know what works for us until we go out and try it. So with my clients, I have them kind of imagine what they would like, um, go out and do a little dating, and then check back in with me in a couple of weeks and see how that worked and if any adjustments need to be made. Because I made mistakes for years at a time. I got stuck in relationships that didn't work. And I had an investment in it, and I just stayed there. And I wanted somebody like me who could say, You know, that's not a good match for you, so let's pull back and regroup again. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, it would really be great
0: if we always had somebody that could kind of be our mentor and let us know certain things. But that's also the beauty of being in an open relationship community is there's a common language Mm -hmm. now that so many of us have, and that's kind of our little, you know, pool to choose from when it comes to creating friendships and loverships is, you know, it's now expanding, you know, globally that if somebody wants to be in this lifestyle, there's resources. And so I definitely think being open in community is extremely helpful and extremely supportive because, you
1: know, you all have common ground with each other to some degree. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think that's super important to have a community of people that are practicing open relationship because there's no... although people have written books, there's really no Bible. Um, We're all kind of making it up as we go. So to be around other people where it's been normalized can be very healing. Yes, for sure. Definitely. It takes a village
0: to raise a polyamorous group. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Very
1: true. (laughs) Okay. um, So is there anything else you'd like to add before we start to wrap up around... um, how you've been able to be so successful. How long have you been with your current, your current nesting partner? Uh,
0: For about eight years,
1: eight years. So any other um, nuggets that you want to share about how you've been able to pull that off?
0: You know, I think we just knew from the moment we met that we not only wanted to be in a relationship, but we wanted to be with each other. And I think that was just such a a heartwarming thing for me to experience was to connect with a person who was a yes down to his core but not from a, a mm-hmm. needy insecure place from someone who had spent a lot of solo time and had done his work and he was he was ready to go
1: as as was i mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and you met on an online dating site yeah we went we met on OkCupid. cupid it
0: was a total fluke thing oh. um my cousin had told me about it said i should check it out I got on there, and a few weeks later, I reached out to him because I liked his long hair, <laughs> uh-huh. and he responded, and uh, we went on a date, and it was pretty much magic from the moment we met, and I just loved mm-hmm. feeling how open his heart was, and yet that I could trust his boundaries if he wanted to
1: say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, good for you for finding your mate. <laughs> Hmm.
0: Yes, and I hope to find more mates in the future
1: because if it can right. work with
0: one person, I don't doubt that it can't work with more.
1: Hmm. Would you ever be open to adding another person into your family, like living with you? Definitely.
0: I think that would be great. I mean, you know, economically, I think group relationships make a lot of sense because the more people that can help pay the rent, The better it is for everyone, the more breaks people get when there's more of a shared dynamic. You know, it's kind of like Mm -hmm. having housemates, but everyone is intimately involved with each other.
1: So it's Mm -hmm. like the best of both worlds. Right. Yeah, I dream of a whole community of, you know, 100 people that all share that lifestyle. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. That, That all live together, yeah. So okay, well, Sherry, it's been absolutely delightful speaking with you. I really appreciate your your transparency about your life and all of the wisdom that you have to share. It's been really great. Um, so, if mm. people want to get a hold of you, um, would you like to mm. tell people how to find you, or um, if they want to learn more about your events or anything like that?
0: Sure, they can email me, and my email is spelled H U g-g-i-m-a at yahoo.com and a lot of the events I have they're just kind of sporadic you know I tend to do things more in the moment whenever it seems like there's a calling for something I also love having my space be used by other people when they want to host events and uh, there's been a lot of sex positive events at my home that others have been in charge of and I love like providing the space for that
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So Right. my great. house is your house <laughs> so it's Huggy Ma H-U-G-G-I-M-A at yahoo.com yes correct okay great all right Sherry well thanks again for your time and I will look forward to seeing you on the campus <laughs> wonderful I look forward to it as well okay have a good evening bye bye thanks you too bye